Welcome to the Unconventional RD Podcast, where we inspire dietitians to think outside of the traditional employment box and create their own unconventional income streams. We'll talk all things online business to help you start, grow, and scale your own digital empire. For today's episode, I have something a little different. I've never done anything like this before on the podcast, but I heard it on a different podcast and thought it was kind of a cool idea. It's an Ask Me Anything episode, and I'm doing this in honor of my 33rd birthday, which is tomorrow, the day after Valentine's Day. And so I'm recording this um, a little early. It'll come out, you know, about a week and a half after my actual birthday, but I thought it would be a fun little different type of episode to do. So I posted a prompt in the Unconventional RD community on Facebook, and I also posted something on my Instagram stories asking people like, hey, if you could ask me anything about really any topic, like what would you want to know? And then I'll pick my favorite questions and do a podcast episode on this. I have done Ask Me Anything webinars before in the past, and they're super cool. So um, yeah, I kind of was just going to do the same thing for this podcast. So we have a wide range of topics uh, stemming from personal questions to just general entrepreneurship questions, and then some technical kind of businessy stuff as well. So I'm going to start out with the personal questions, move into the questions about entrepreneurship, and then end with those technically types of questions. So the first question was kind of fun, and it's, where do you want to be in 10 years? And to be honest, I had to like think about it for a second. So, okay, in 10 years, I'll be turning 43. Um, So, you know, I think I'd like to be a mom, maybe maybe three kids. That's my goal. Uh, Maybe have some pets. I currently don't have any pets. And I see myself really running a hopefully multi-million dollar online business with a small team of really kick-ass people who work for me remotely from their homes. I imagine having really diversified income streams, maybe even some real estate investments. I envision the unconventional RD being like my main thing really expanding that blog, working on SEO and uh, growing my blog traffic because I haven't really focused on that for this brand yet. Uh, Of course, this podcast, I hope that's still alive and kicking in 10 years. Although, you know, who knows what what will change in in the landscape of podcasting or maybe I'll get into video. I don't know. Uh, I do think that courses and passive income streams will continue to be my main gig because that's really like the sweet spot of where I think I thrive with my personality and how I can serve my audience the best. So I think my online courses, maybe some ad revenue through both the blog and maybe even the podcast, affiliate income, maybe, maybe a small amount of consulting or high-level one-on-one work. I'm, I'm not sure yet. People ask me if I offer that all the time, and currently the answer is no, but you know, never say never. Maybe I'll come around and take on a, like a small handful of people to work with one-on-one. I think in 10 years, I may have sold the Functional Nutrition Answers blog um, and that whole company just because I'm, as I mentioned in the first episode, finding it to be really overwhelming to try to run two different businesses on two different topics, one on business, the unconventional RD, and one on nutrition, which is the Functional Nutrition Answers blog and the Functional Nutrition Library membership site. 
Um, so I can envision perhaps selling it or at least having it to where it's like pretty much basically entirely outsourced. Like maybe I run a team of freelance writers and I have an editor who does all the fact checking and all that jazz. And maybe I just kind of like own it and manage the higher level like SEO marketing strategy. Like that sounds fun, but I don't envision myself being like in the nitty gritty of that business in 10 years. I envision more balance in my life with my family being my top priority at that point. Um, And my models that I'm really uh, kind of modeling my life and business after um, are actually kind of other online entrepreneurs. So people like Pat Flynn of Smart Passive Income. He's like my all-time favorite. Uh, I've listened to like every single podcast episode that he's come out with over the years, been a fan for a really long time, Amy Porterfield, Jenna Kutcher, those types of people. That's kind of where I would love to see myself in 10 years. Uh, and this kind of stems into the next question, who are the role models that you look up to, dietitians or others? And to be honest, most of my role models, I guess I would say, are, are outside of the RD world. Definitely number one are my parents. They're extremely hardworking, very ethical, which I I am so grateful for that from a very young age, they always taught me like it's very important to be honest and to do the right thing and to listen to your gut and all of those things. Instilling those values in me um, has, I think, served me very well. I'll never forget the one time like in high school I got caught with a friend trying to sneak out of her house and oh my gosh, we got in so much trouble and my dad, you know, instead of just sweeping it under the rug or not addressing it, he actually had me write an apology letter to my friend's parents and then go over there and read it to them and like apologize to their face. And that was a really big deal and I hated every moment of it while it was happening, but Looking back, I'm like, whoa, that's like such a good lesson in like accountability and apologies and owning up when you're wrong and things like that. So honestly, I'm so, so, so grateful that I had that as an example growing up. Um, I also look up to other online business owners that I mentioned. Uh, In addition to those three, I also really admired Denise Duffield Thomas, who runs the Lucky Bee uh, brand and does a lot of money mindset work. I'm in her uh, course and private Facebook community, and I'm just so, so grateful to just be in the room, honestly, with other women who are making hundreds of thousands or even millions of dollars a year in their business and just like being comfortable with that and and being open about what that looks like uh, and the mindset hurdles involved in getting there. I'm super grateful and I admire that. Um, And also the bloggers who run Pinch of Yum and Food Blogger Pro. Uh, I really, really took like I I basically read every single one of their income reports when I was first starting out. That's Lindsay and Bjork Ostrom. Um, That's their names. But they they were very generous in sharing their blogging income reports, which really inspired me and made it feel real that you could make a good living through great blog content. Um, So I I looked up to them and then I really also liked how then they tried to pay it forward and created a whole second business about, you know, creating and running a profitable food blog, which is their company, Food Blogger Pro. And they also have a podcast, which was incredibly helpful and motivating for me 
when I was still in the trenches trying to figure out the whole food blogging thing, you know, four or five years ago. So really, anyone who's been open and shared their business strategies, their wins and losses, um, I don't know if I'd be where I am today if those people hadn't come first and shared so openly on their blogs, their podcasts, offered paid programs as well. Like I've done some of these people's paid programs, like I was a member of Food Blogger Pro for a while. Um, It really inspired me to have, you know, the belief that I could do it too. And in the RD world, I would say my role models are really anyone who is out there kind of doing their own thing unapologetically. I really look up to the risk takers in our field, the people who have like clear passion behind their work, even if it doesn't like perfectly align with what I'm talking about or what what I personally believe. I don't really care. Like if you have the passion behind it and you are out there like doing the work, you're not half-assing it, you're like really out there trying to make an impact in whatever niche that you're in. Like I admire that and I will always cheer that on. Um, I don't really spend that much time kind of poking around looking at what other people are doing and like reminiscing on it to be honest. So most of my time is actually spent implementing in my own business and trying to learn from the mistakes that I inevitably make and the wins. Um, So yeah, that would be my answer to that question. The next question, what's the biggest challenge you faced as an entrepreneur? This one's fun. I don't know if you guys would see this one coming, but my answer is patience. Hands down, patience was the biggest challenge for me in this entrepreneurial journey. I've always known, I think, inside my heart that I'm meant to be an entrepreneur. I knew that I could do it. um, But the hardest thing in those early years, I would say the first three, even maybe four years of trying to be an entrepreneur straight out of the gate after becoming a dietitian was this feeling of like, I know I can do this. But like in our life at that time, it was me and then my now fiance who had just finished his real estate license and was trying to get up and running in that career. So literally at the same time, I was fresh out of grad school and a brand new dietitian. He was fresh out of, you know, passing his real estate exam and trying to start a new career in real estate. And that was just a really difficult time income wise for us. (laughs) We didn't have any really stable, consistent sources of income. I was doing a whole bunch of side jobs, um, trying to start my own business or businesses, as I've mentioned throughout these podcast episodes. And it really hurt my soul like to not be able to just like lock myself in a room and work on my business all day. Like I had to work on it part time on the side outside of the activities that actually generated revenue in my life at that time unless I was willing to give up my apartment and move in with my parents, for example. And that really was like a last stitch, uh, you know, option I didn't want to move back in with my parents with my boyfriend so we just made it work you know we worked really hard we both had multiple jobs and we were kind of just scraping by and then slowly things started to come together and um, what really worked for me over time was like trading out one gig for another so like I for example, was seeing clients for a while. Then I got the opportunity to be a freelance writer. So then I phased out the one-on-one work. And then as my online courses started to take off, then I phased out the freelance writing. And it was like, all of this happened very slowly, like 
over years, but you eventually look up and you're like, oh, cool. Like I've, I've basically swapped out everything that wasn't in alignment with my ideal vision of what my career would look like. And now I like everything that I'm doing. And it's, it's exactly what I was trying to achieve five years ago. I just couldn't see the path there when I was still at square one. So just trusting in the process and having faith that it would come together, even in those moments when I had $6 in my bank account, like um, that was probably the hardest part, to be honest. I remember there was a moment when one of my side gigs was kind of like winding down. And, you know, this was about right before I launched the Functional Nutrition Library and had some success there. But there was a moment when my boyfriend at the time, now fiance, was like, hey, maybe you need to think about getting a job. And that was like soul crushing. Like I think I cried like even at the thought of that. So that stuff was probably the hardest thing about being an entrepreneur. I think once I found my people and like my niche and my voice, it got infinitely easier. But just getting the clarity and finding that in the beginning was hands down the hardest part. I would not go back there um, if I had to, again, to be honest, it's, it gets much easier once you have that clarity. Um, so yeah, I think patience and perseverance are just the biggest challenge in the beginning. Uh, the next question was, how do you structure your days and your weeks? And to be honest, (laughs) I, I go through phases and this changes dramatically from year to year, depending on what I'm doing and working on in my business. Um, Just a caveat here, I don't have any kids, I don't even have any pets, so I really am blessed to have a lot of flexibility in my schedule right now. And my fiance, Aaron, has a really unconventional schedule as well. He's in real estate, as I mentioned. So, you know, we just kind of make it work. We don't have really set schedules in our lives right now. Um, Bigger picture for 2020, I have course launches that happen in January and February for the SEO course, May slash June for the Make Money blogging course, and then September slash October for my email marketing course. So hands down, those months are like my crazy busy months. <laughs> I'm doing email marketing, webinars. Um, during the, the courses, I'm doing uh, live office hour calls every Monday morning. I'm updating and improving the course content, answering questions in the students-only Facebook group. Granted, all of this is happening from home in my pajamas, but it's intense. It's a really heavy workload during those months. And then on top of that, I'm also still editing uh, any functional nutrition library updates and fact-checking those, working on functional nutrition answers blog, podcasting, editing, or approving the edits, um, doing the show notes, like just publishing all of that and proofreading it. So yeah, it's a lot of work to be honest. Um, definitely outsourcing is something that's on my radar for 2020, probably after I'm done with my wedding, which is happening in March. Um, yeah, so there's not really a set schedule, though. That's what my schedule looks like during those months when I'm launching. I'm, I work during those times, like almost every day of the week, to be quite honest. Um, and then during the off months, I get to relax a lot more. I try I really value cooking that's like one of my favorite things to kind of ground my day and something I do just for the household and like self-care it's almost like a creative hobby so on when I'm not you know meeting a bunch of deadlines I'll usually end my day around like five 
maybe do a 30 minute workout and then I get to cook something really fun. Um, Food and Wine Magazine is like my all time favorite place to get recipes and I usually cook kind of more elaborate, fancy, fun, flavorful stuff. Um, So that's usually what I like to do in the evenings, maybe work on a puzzle, watch some reality TV, (laughs) things like that. Big Brother is like one of my favorites. Um, Watching The Bachelor, The Bachelorette, (laughs) any sort of trashy reality TV, I am on it. Um, Yeah, so during those off months, I also have the space in my schedule to kind of work on the higher level strategy, I think, of my business. The next thing I want to focus on is systematizing, outsourcing, maybe even batching some of the content ahead of time so it's not so stressful when I'm in the middle of the course, the live rounds of my courses. So right now, a day in the life would be I wake up whenever I'm not tired. I don't I don't set an alarm. So that's usually around 730 or so. Um, first thing, make coffee right away. Obviously, put on my contact lenses and all that. Um, and then I, this is probably not the best habit and developing a morning routine is something that I'm interested in, um, just for my personal life, my business and stuff like that. And probably, obviously, once I have kids and things like that, my schedule is going to have to be a lot more structured. Um, but right now I'll just kind of open up my computer while I'm drinking my coffee, check my emails, respond to social media stuff from over the, the night, um, Yeah, that's kind of how I kick off my morning. Sometimes I'll check the news, (laughs) see what's happening. Uh, Then I tackle typically the most pressing work items first. So if I'm doing any course creation stuff, I'll work on that. Um, Stuff related to the functional nutrition library or the podcast, depending on what my deadlines are that day. Uh, Sometimes I'll do that with the TV on or some music in the background, almost always in pajamas and sweatpants. (laughs) And then... Like I said, around 4.30 or 5, I'll I'll stop and take a workout break. I love the app Daily Burn. I do the Daily Burn 365 workouts a lot. Um, It's just like an app on my phone, and it's a different workout every single day, which is great because if I know what's coming, I'll totally psych myself out. So I like that. I just know I show up for 30 minutes, and it's different every single time. Then I'll cook dinner. Um, Maybe I'll work in the evening if I'm in the middle of a course launch. Uh, I try to take one day off a week. To spend with my fiance, like go hiking, maybe in Runyon Canyon, go out to dinner, cook, watch movies, stuff like that. I would love to up that to two days. I really think I need like one fun day a week and then one almost like chore day because that stuff kind of falls to the wayside for me right now. Um, so that's my thoughts on that. The next question was, and this is the last personal question, do you ever stress about your financial situation or do you feel comfortable? And I have to say this year, 2020, is honestly the first time I can actually say I genuinely feel comfortable. There were many, many years uh, in these early stage, in the early stages of entrepreneurship where I couldn't pay my taxes that year. I know you're supposed to pay them quarterly when you're an entrepreneur, but I would often um, just pay the penalty, uh, the late fee penalty and pay them in April. And even then there were times that I still couldn't pay them in full. So I think there was one year, it might have been like, 2015 or 2016 where I was like triple paying my taxes because I was on a payment plan. I was uh, saving up to pay my last year's taxes late in technically late in April. And then I was also trying to save for my current taxes to catch up and actually pay them on time. So um, yeah, even when I started to make money, a lot of it was going backwards to pay off, you know, late taxes or debt that I had accumulated throughout those tough times. There were several years where it was really a question of like, 
between me and my my boyfriend like are we gonna have enough money at the end of the month to make it this month like true story I literally went to a bachelorette party one time with six dollars in my bank account um, I also went to another friend's bachelorette party in Vegas and was at a pool party completely sober because I couldn't afford the $12 beers. Like, yeah, that really happened. Um, I've never really had any savings to speak of yet. Um, but as you guys probably know, in 2019, I cracked 100K for the first time in my business and that felt really good. Um, that was a goal of mine for a really long time. Um, my fiance also has been doing better and better in his business. And I really, we talk about this a lot, but I think the reality is it was just perseverance and like sticking to one thing for long enough, like not jumping around, not being like, oh, this didn't work after six months and then switching gears, but being like, you know, this is what I'm doing. Like, for example, with the unconventional RD stuff, it's starting to work now, but I had been committed and running the Facebook group for like almost three years now. So it's not like it came out of the blue. Um, the work was put in, even though I didn't mean to start it as a business. It was just like a fun side hobby, like blog journal, basically, of my business. But um, yeah, I think it's just being consistent and taking small, dedicated, strategic action over years. And then you look up and you're like, whoa, I really do know what I'm talking about now. Or like, things are actually coming together. Um, yeah, I mean, thankfully, in the online business world, Profit margins are really good. Like my expenses are usually like under 20%. Um, and I feel really blessed that I finally found or created a type of business that A, I really love. So it, honestly, I like working. Like it, it's not something that I'm dreading. Like I wake up and I, I'm excited to work on everything that's on my plate. Um, and so I love it. It also helps people which is very gratifying, um, and it's profitable and scalable. So that's great. All right, now I'm ready to move on to some questions about entrepreneurship. This one was really popular. How do you embrace a profitable business mindset while maintaining the helper mindset that many of us healthcare providers possess? And I thought this was such a cool question because that's actually a really common money mindset block. So the idea that you can't be wealthy or make a lot of money while simultaneously genuinely helping people. And I find it really interesting when people bring that up because I actually don't have that money mindset block and I never really have. So I, I, I understand like that it's very common, but I don't personally have that belief. I think I was fortunate enough to have examples of wealthy people, I guess, in my life who did a lot of good. Um, so that one never particularly came up for me. My block is that I have to be like, constantly really working hard for my money or else I'm not earning it. <laughs> That's my block. Um, but if you have this other particular mindset block where you struggle with making money and helping people, you feel like somehow they're kind of like mutually exclusive. I'm here to tell you, you can a thousand percent make money and live in abundance, help people and make a gigantic impact all at the same time. In fact, I'd even argue you can make a bigger impact when you're not constantly stressed out about money. And plus, when you have a large amount of money, you can create unique like uh, unique situations to help people even more. Like, for example, if you run a business that is bringing in a lot of revenue and it's time to outsource, like you can hire people. You can create your own part-time or full-time virtual positions and think about the difference like that could make in someone's life. Like you could make an opportunity for somebody 
to have a fabulous salary and work environment and work from home and create a job that someone else would really love. And that's impactful. Like that can really change someone's life. Um, Another way to shift your mindset around this, you could even create, you could like, if this is something that bothers you and you're like, oh, I want to make sure that I have stuff that's accessible for people at any income level, which I agree is a great thing to think about, create uh, things to help people at different price points. So that's one of the reasons why I love content marketing. All of the content, like blogging basically, content marketing means like you're creating valuable content for your customer and that's attracting them to you and building a relationship with them. And then you also offer paid products that they can choose to purchase if and when they're ready. But obviously no pressure. There's always the free stuff there as well. So you can create free blog content, video content, podcast content. And just because someone's not directly buying from you doesn't mean that it can't be monetized indirectly through things like ads or affiliate links or sponsored content. You could also have low price digital goods. Maybe you have downloads that people can purchase, ebooks, workbooks, uh, low cost monthly fee for a membership site, something like that. Then you can have medium price offers where it's maybe more guided, like an online course or something like that, but they're not working directly with you. It's like a one-to-many model where you've sort of created a framework of whatever you teach and you've put it into the self-study online course. Um, You can even offer payment plans if you think lump sum payments are going to be an issue for your audience. There's so many ways to get around that. And then at the very high end, you can offer your one-on-one time. That can be your most premium product. But if you set it up that way, like there's really no barrier, like all of your wonderful help is there. Um, It just depends on what best meets the needs of your audience. And people will save up money for things that they value. So if they really, really do want to work with you specifically, they will save up the money to make it happen. You can also consider offering scholarships for people, um, maybe a certain number of people every year, if that's something that resonates with you. And like, just circling back around, like, if you do become extra wealthy, that could even open up opportunities for you to give back by like starting charities or donating extremely large sums of money to organizations you believe in or creating really large businesses or organizations, like I said, that hire full-time employees that can help people in the ways that that you're envisioning. So think bigger, think bolder. How can you make an even bigger impact? And I think becoming wealthy can be a way to make a bigger impact because you have more resources available to you um, that you can put towards helping people. So it's not um, always, it's not like you personally one-on-one have to spend your 40 hours a week personally in the trenches working with people one-on-one in order to make an impact. You can also build wealth and build a business and give back in other ways as well. The next question is, where do you think RDs should devote their energy to the most. It's hard to do it all, so I'm curious to hear what platform you think has the biggest ROI. This one was interesting. Um, This is a hard question because there's really no right answer, honestly. You can build a business in like a zillion ways. (laughs) There is no one method, um, and there shouldn't be. We're all different. We're all unique people. You need to do what works for you. Um, So this could be a situation where working with a business coach could help you get clarity around this. You could maybe do some journaling, um, try to map out who you're serving, 
what problems specifically you're solving for those people and how you're solving them. So like what type of product or service are you offering? And then where, like, how do you see your customer journey going? Like, where are your people now and where do they need to be? And how can you invite them to work with you through your content marketing and your relationship with them online, in person, whatever you want, whatever feels good for you, honestly. You just need to figure out who your people are, where they hang out, how you can provide value to them and build a relationship there and then invite them to work with you. So I think it's important to start with, what type of work do you enjoy and what are you good at? What's your uh, sort of unique, valuable thing that you do naturally just do better than other people and you maybe take for granted? I think that's pretty common. Like things that are easy for us, we're like, like everyone, like why would I teach that? Like it's so easy. It, It must be easy for everybody, but it's actually not. So like, for example, and I'll just use myself as an example, Something that comes really easy for me is writing and teaching, but that doesn't come easily for a lot of people (laughs) and and vice versa. Other people are out there like kicking butt with coaching or one-on-one client work and they feel like that comes so easy, but I'm on the other side like looking over here like, how do you do that? That's so hard. So, you know, what comes easily to you? What are you naturally good at? How can you help people with those skills and those talents? And try to find the marriage there um, between work that that naturally feels good to you and that's also helpful to the world. Um, Tune out the noise of what other people are doing. Honestly, um, there are, like I said, a million and one ways to start a successful business. And of course, you can be inspired by the successes of others, but don't copycat them. Build something that's in alignment with you. So listen to your gut and notice what feels right, what fills you with joy, what comes easy, what you get excited about, and lean into those things. And it's okay if it's unconventional. It's okay if you want to be a writer or you want to do videos or you want to be out there in the community in some way. Like whatever it is that speaks to you, follow that. Um, But I would say don't try to do it all. So don't look around and say, oh, this person's doing so well on Instagram. This person's blogging. This person um, is like getting all their clients on LinkedIn and then try to like kind of do all of them. Don't do that. Um, Pick one strategy that resonates with you that you think would work for your business model and where your ideal clients are and also something that you like and focus just on that and then expand later once that one thing has picked up some traction. So, you know, for a lot of people, that's Instagram. For me, it happened to be Facebook groups uh, or blogging for my Functional Nutrition Answers blog. Um, It just, only you have the answer to that. That's the answer to that question. So (laughs) there is no one platform with the biggest ROI. There is no one thing that we should all be doing or focusing on. It it doesn't really matter. It's just whatever you like and want to put your time and attention into. The next question, how do you cope when falling into the comparison trap? Uh, And my question there would be like, what feelings, I guess, is the comparison bringing up? Like, Are you feeling envy, jealousy, um, a sense of lack in your own self? Like, what is it bringing up within you? And like, who are you comparing yourself to in the first place? Because I think there's a couple things that happen. Sometimes people will look at people who are 
like really excited about the successes that they're having and and sharing them but they maybe don't know the whole backstory of where that person is in their business or how long they've been trying at something or how many failures that they've had behind the scenes like we all start at zero. So if you're at zero and you're comparing yourself to someone who's been at it for years, that's really not a fair comparison, to be honest. Like, you're not seeing the years of the hard work and the grit that went into it. I guarantee that they had failures and flops along the way. <laughs> Guaranteed. It just is re- the reality of entrepreneurship. Um, so AI double check, like, are you even looking at someone who's in the same stage of business as you right now? Because you might not be. And then I would also step back and be like, you know, are you feeling like this person having success in the XYZ niche somehow means that you can't have success? Like they're taking an opportunity from you, perhaps? Um, Because I would challenge you to flip that belief, actually. So seeing someone create something that you would also like to create and do means that there's a market for it. If they're making it work, that just means that you can make it work too. And honestly, there's seriously, seriously more than enough clients and customers and fans to go around for all of us. Um, And the fact is that someone else's success is totally separate from your own success. (laughs) It literally has nothing to do with you. So try to shift your outlook away from that feeling of lack. Someone else's success does not mean that there's less out there for you. Uh, Think about how many gurus that you follow in any given space. I mean, it's rarely just one, right? Like even earlier when I was answering that question about my role models, I listed off like four or five people in the online business world that I admire. And those people don't see each other as like competitors. They're not jealous or angry at the success of one another. Like, no, they, they collaborate. They're friends. They're peers. They support each other. And I think that's really, really, really important and essential to be a successful uh, entrepreneur and to have a positive mindset in your life in general, I think. Uh, I think my biggest tip would be, again, work on staying authentic to you. Don't get caught up in what other people are doing. Work in your zone of genius. We all have strengths and weaknesses, so lean into your unique strengths. Sometimes I think also... We look for cues from external sources when we're feeling a lack of clarity internally. So maybe there's something, there's some work to do on the inside there. Uh, Like maybe you're feeling like other, you see other people who supposedly have it all together and have all this clarity and are doing such good work. And maybe that's mirroring some of the the confusion that you might have on the inside like do you need to work on getting some more clarity on your brand or your mission or your passion um, or the impact that you want to have on the world maybe flip it back and look at what inner work you can do there to maybe refocus your attentions on the unique value that you can provide in the world and push yourself to continue to keep taking meaningful action towards your unique goals Um, So rather than trying to maybe distract ourselves a little bit by focusing on what others are doing, flip it back and be like, wait, what am I doing? Did I take any action towards my goals today? And if not, what can I do to change that moving forward? So what is something, you know, I challenge you to reframe it. What is something big or small that you can celebrate in your own business 
right now. So focus your attention on your own personal wins. Maybe it's like you got one more email subscriber today. Maybe somebody returned your pitch or like responded back to your pitch or maybe you got booked for a wellness talk. Like focus your attention on that and try to shift as much as you can to a space of gratitude. I think that's really, really helpful. Or even just reach out to a friend, you know, and get some social support. Also very valuable. Next question was, how do you have the vision, wherewithal, and discipline to create a big project like a membership site? And to be honest, I think this is really funny. It ties into what we've just been talking about. That's honestly like just how my brain works. Like that isn't scary or like overwhelming to me. That's the type of projects that my brain seeks out. Like I like to organize stuff. I like to learn. I like to dig into data and I like to teach. So it just sort of fell together naturally. Like to me, I'm looking at other people who are running like thriving in-person practices with a team and I'm like, shoot, how do you have the vision, wherewithal and discipline to do that? Like, you know what I mean? So I think the answer here is really like lean into what feels good and comes naturally again to you. And then it, those projects don't seem that scary because they they just come naturally to you. You're leaning into your strengths. I think what makes it seem scary sometimes is when we're out of alignment with our personal talents and things we're good at, and we're trying to fit that square peg into a round hole sort of situation. So maybe um, just take a step back and be like, hey, I don't need to do what this other person's doing. Like their vision of success can be completely different than mine, and that's fine. So um, yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't really have an answer. I, don't, I guess I don't see it as like, something that took some extraordinary effort because it, it really it just kind of fell into my lap and it, it was work that I enjoyed the next question is where do you see the profession growing and where do you see RDs struggling and to be honest it's hard for me to answer this one because I don't feel super tapped into the RD world to be honest like I'm not I, I have never been to a nutrition conference I don't I've never worked in a hospital or food service like I just have been doing my own thing online kind of this entire time so I feel more at home in the online business and marketing world to be completely honest so I think I personally would love to play a role in guiding more dietitians into this world uh, the world of content marketing and online business I think we have such value to share with the world and the online opportunity is limitless and it's one of the lowest cost like entrepreneurship opportunities out there like you just seen you know 10 bucks a month or whatever to pay for your domain name and hosting and you can you can start a brand or you know maybe you don't even have that yet and you can get on social media for free and start creating a community um community and connection is where it's at honestly and being really clear with the people and the audience you're trying to cultivate um i think in terms of where i see Artie struggling the most I honestly think it's with mindset. I think there's a lot of limiting beliefs circulating around, maybe a little trouble um, thinking big, like we, or you might feel like you're thinking big, even with the thought of like pursuing entrepreneurship. But then when you think about that, the only thing, the only options that maybe come to mind are like, you know, working with people one-on-one in a private practice or something like that, when it's like, technically we could be starting like crazy organizations and charities or online websites like I don't know like RD to RD for example I think that is such a cool unique vision and in case you haven't heard the other episodes where I mentioned RD to RD 
It's an online platform where dietitians can upload their educational goods and sell them to other dietitians. So that's so incredible and innovative. And we need more people thinking big like that, thinking about their wildest and craziest dreams and believing that they can come true because they can. So I really, again, the whole point of this podcast, I want to inspire people to think outside of the traditional employment box. I think that's like in my intro and have the confidence and the gumption to go out there and like create their own thing. Um, I see a lot of talk about RDs feeling like they're doomed to low wages or like turning people off from becoming an RD because they feel like we're underpaid or underrespected or that there's a lack of upward mobility in this career. But to be honest, I don't see that or feel that at all. Like I do not resonate with that, that feeling. I think that that's purely a limiting belief. Like you can freaking do whatever you want. You really can. So, you know, is it easy to create your own thing? Heck no. Is it doable? Heck yes. So, you know, find mentors, find a community, surround yourself with like-minded people who are really going for it and like building the life that they want and just put your head down and go for it. Don't give up, you know, have perseverance. Um, get the social support that you need. And yeah, you know, I really do think we can all do it if we really want to. The next question was, do you, this was the last entrepreneurship related question. Do you feel that people need to be an RD to be able to create products or courses in nutrition? And I think a student asked this, who's like currently in her master's program. And uh, my answer is no, I actually don't believe that. Um, I believe, of course, you should never misrepresent your education or your ability or your skills. But beyond that, like you do you, like who am I to judge? Obviously follow the laws for wherever you live. Um, In some places you can't do certain things unless you are a licensed credentialed healthcare practitioner. Um, But in California, for example, we don't have licensure. So technically anyone can give nutrition advice and that's the law. So like no shame on people who choose to do alternative career paths and and still pursue a nutrition related career like it's not illegal <laughs> like that is your choice like i you know you do you so no i don't think that people need to be an rd necessarily there's plenty of other options for ways to become educated in nutrition um, and help other people okay moving on to the final three questions these are the technical related questions So number one, when it comes to your website, do you think there's value in hiring out those services to a website professional so that you can focus more on content and engagement? And you know this again, you know, these are great questions because they're all circling back to the same point. What's right for you? Because this totally depends on what you like to do and what you're good at, how much money you have to outsource and where you want to spend your time. And there's really no wrong answer. So yeah, a lot of healthcare professionals do not care about the tech stuff. They don't want to know about it. They don't want to see it. They'd rather just outsource it completely and have someone else manage it. And that's totally valid. But there's other people like, you know, who really like the tech stuff. I kind of consider myself to fall under this category. And some people might even love the tech stuff so much that they find themselves wanting to be kind of the web, the website content marketing planner and then outsource the content creation and the marketing. So like, you know, it totally depends. There's no wrong answer there. Um, I will say in my own personal business, I did everything DIY from the jump. 
slowly, obviously. I, I've been blogging since like, I think I started my first blog at the end of 2010. <laughs> like, yeah, before it was easy to create a website. It, my first website was horrifically ugly. <laughs> um, but I've been slowly learning and just teaching myself along the way. But I like doing that stuff. So I never really wanted to outsource it or felt the need to. However, I will say that as my business is growing and expanding, and now I already know how to do all the stuff. So like I could technically do it. Um, But now that my time is becoming a lot more limited and there's a lot of balls in the air, I'm like, okay, I can see now in this scenario that I'm in now where I might want to hire someone to, for example, redesign my website. Not because I can't do it myself, but just because I don't want to put my time into that when maybe I could be doing something else that brings greater returns to the business. So it depends on where you're at in your business, what stage you're at, what skills you have, what you're good at, whether you have more time or money at this stage of your business, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, whatever you think is right for you. The second to last question is how many times do you think you should do a live launch before going evergreen? And I want to explain that a little bit in case people listening aren't familiar with that terminology, but this is in regards to creating online courses. So a lot of times what people will do when they're creating a course from for the first time is they will, maybe they'll do a pre-sale where they, you know, explain point of the course and uh, try to sell it in advance before they've made it to validate that there's people out there who actually want it and will pay for it. And then they'll do a live launch. So they'll say, okay, you know, we're starting on May 1st and every Monday a new module is coming out for the next five weeks. Maybe there's a live component, like some live calls for support and things like that. And then the course, sometimes the course will shut down and it's not available after that or, uh, you know, and like you can only enroll during the live rounds. That would be a live launch. So open enrollment during a set period of time and then it closes and you can't enroll again until the next live launch. And sometimes people will do it that way because A, you can build it as it's rolling out. So you could literally come out with the content week to week and get live feedback and tweak it. You can play with your marketing copy and your sales uh, webinars or emails and compare and see what does better from live launch to live launch. Um, But then a lot of people find themselves getting burnt out with that model and it's very feast or famine like, oh, I made, you know, tens of thousands of dollars um, during my live launch, but then no one can buy it in the intermediate time until the next live launch where I make a bunch of money, but then it's not bringing in any revenue in between. So a lot of people will then switch to something known as an evergreen model where technically the course can be purchased at any time, but, you know, maybe they use some fancy sales tactics and email marketing things like like webinars to get people interested to learn about the program and then uh, present them with like a time-limited discount or special offer or bonus all done automatically in the back end (laughs) through your email marketing platform. And when you set it up that way, you're constantly selling on autopilot in the background and you don't have to worry about these really extreme intense periods of live launching. Instead, you get to focus more on the broader goal of expanding your audience because every new person who joins your audience and joins your email list, for example, you already know where they're going. You know exactly the emails they're getting, the sales pitches they're getting, et cetera, et cetera, and what percentage on average will then convert to be a paying customer. 
So you can kind of predict, okay, if I grow my audience by XYZ amount every month, I can expect this, this percentage of conversions to sales and then this much estimated revenue. So it can really help you create a stable, scalable business model in which you can feel comfortable, you know, maybe purchasing things like paid ads on Facebook or whatever. Um, that's a really popular model. But there is a, a recommendation typically out there like, hey, you should live launch a few times before you switch to Evergreen because otherwise, how do you know what you're doing is working? And you could potentially waste a lot of money creating an Evergreen funnel or product that doesn't really work that well or that people don't really enjoy or that's missing something in the sales process. Um, but I don't think that there is an arbitrary number of live launches that you have to do before going Evergreen. In fact, there is... a a woman that I follow, oh, what's the name of her podcast? Let me look it up because it's really great. The Mariah Cause Show, I think it is. Um, no, not that one. I think her name's Caitlin Beecher, but I don't remember the name of her brand. Um, I'll look it up and I'll put it in the show notes, but she has a whole brand all about you don't even have to ever do a live launch and you can create a successful, profitable, completely evergreen program. So... There really is no right or wrong, just like everything that I'm talking about in this podcast. You will learn from every experience. The important thing is to analyze what's happening and see maybe where the weak points in your marketing funnel are or in your product. Get feedback from people. Make sure you're asking for feedback after the launch from your, your core students. See where there's a drop off in participation. Um, is it too much information? Not enough. Uh did your marketing line up with what you delivered? Like, what are people happy with or not happy with? And can you tweak it to make it better? Did certain people stop opening your emails at a certain time? Like, did your email sequence kind of drop off? Um, did certain emails do super, super well and others were kind of lackluster? Like, sure, you could tweak it again and do another live launch and then compare the results. But you could also not do another live launch, turn it into Evergreen and just continually analyze the data from the evergreen stuff. So the the thing that you really need is the, the data, the purchases from people um, so that you can see the patterns of what's working and not working. Um, I guess what you wouldn't want to do is just assume that once you're, you've done it once, it's set and done forever and it will just continue to run on evergreen with no other work from you forever. Like that's that's probably what people are cautioning against when they're like, don't go evergreen too early. But to be honest, it's never over. You're always evaluating and improving. So um, like from in my own business, I'm, I do one live round of each course throughout the year. And then the course is available for evergreen self-study at the other times of the year. So that's what I'm currently doing. I don't know if I'll do that forever. Maybe in the future it will be entirely evergreen. I don't know. I like the connection that I get with people during the live rounds. So I'm not sure if I'll move away from that or not, or maybe just change the formatting. Like I have seen other um, programs that I am enrolled in. They've gone from doing live rounds with live calls to just, hey, no matter what program you're in or stage you're at, we just do a once a month, one hour, like office hour call for anyone to hop on and ask a question. So, you know, there's other ways to support people in your community as well, away from just live launches or live rounds of your course. And then the last question, where have you found the best SEO info? And then there was a side question about um, SEO trends that I'm keeping my eye on for 2020. And I honestly think I'm going to, I think that's a great podcast episode idea, like a whole episode on 
the trends that I see happening in the future? Um, I responded to that question just briefly. I think, and I'll just do the same here, I think I'm really excited about where schema is going. So schema is kind of like extra information that you can add on the back end of your blog post that the readers don't see, but Google can read. So it's like hidden code kind of. So for example, there's recipe schema that you can add to your blog post using a type of formatting called JSON-LD, um, J-S-O-N-LD. And that is extremely powerful for helping Google understand that there's recipes on your website and all of the different components of your recipe uh, and help you get those, those um, rich snippets in the Google search results. So the ones with the pictures and the ratings and all that, um, that's all generated from having recipe schema. There's also video schema, I think, and this is a trend that I'm watching, I can imagine that at some point there will also be podcast schema or some sort of audio schema. It technically exists out there in on the schema.org like repository, but it's not really widely in use yet and there's no easy way to generate it, but I can totally see that happening in the future. Um, podcasts are now starting to get transcribed by Google automatically so they can quote unquote kind of read the audio and see what's happening in there. They're starting to come up in certain types of Google search queries. For now, it's pretty much only coming up if you type in the word podcast in your search query. But like, can't you imagine a future where people ask a question of Google and they bring up an audio clip from someone's podcast episode where they answer that exact question? I could totally see that happening. They already kind of do that with YouTube videos. So why not also with audio and podcasting? So I think in that context, I think um, creating clips of your podcast and transcripts where the timestamps are linked to certain points of the audio recording is going to be huge. They're, again, already kind of doing that with audio or with video, but I can just see that also translating into podcasting and audio. Uh, and then I think similarly, voice search is going to be a big uh, thing to keep our eye on. I know people are always like, oh, voice search, everyone says that's a new thing and nothing ever happens. But I I don't know about you guys, but 2019 was the first year that I ever got a smart device in my home. Someone gifted us an Alexa device, which we kind of used. And then Spotify freaking teamed up with Google Home and gave everybody who was on a paid Spotify plan a free Google Home device. So yes, I opted into that. And I, now I have a small Google Home device. And I use that a lot actually to play music and podcast episodes in my kitchen while I'm cooking. So now that I have these devices and I've sort of been playing around with them, like the Alexa one has a screen, the Google one that I have doesn't have a screen. And I've been reading more and more about, you know, creating actions for these devices. So using things like schema and, and different behind the scenes code on your content basically to help it be more speakable. So you can create speakable answers to questions that people ask, um, which is super cool. I think that's gonna be up and coming it's like a type of speakable schema, which is still in beta and not like super widely used, but I think it's going to become more relevant. You can also use how-to schema or frequently asked questions schema to create tutorials or lists of frequently asked questions and answers related to your product or the topic that you have a business around. Um, in the long run, I think I was just reading something about how they envision kind of on these smart speakers with the screens that you can be like, hey, T 
teach me how to tie a tie or something. And it will bring up like step-by-step -step tutorials with pictures and descriptions and all the materials you need and the time it's going to take and bring it up on the screen and you can like move through with the visuals on the screen. And I'm just like, whoa, mind blown. Like that is the future. So I think we're kind of inching our way there with the how-to schema and um, things like setting up tutorials for DIY projects around the house or crafts. Even recipes, I think, are trying to move in that direction, but I'm not sure how popular that will be. Maybe with video attached? I don't know. Um, so yeah, that's where I'm keeping my eye. Some of this is probably years ahead, but that's just sort of the, where I see it going. Um, and in terms of where I find the best SEO info, I read websites called Search Engine Journal, Search Engine Roundtable, and Search Engine Land. I know, lots of creativity with the names there uh, for the latest news. Um, SEO by the Sea is also, also a really good blog if you are into the techie stuff and you want to know about like the patents that Google is registering. Um, that guy does a really good job kind of analyzing those as they're registered. Um, I like the Facebook group SEO Signals Lab. Uh, it's a great place to ask questions and it's really well moderated. So there's not a lot of spam or negativity in there. They shut that down real quick. Um, I enjoy the group Food Blogger Central on Facebook as well. If you are a food blogger, you have to be in that group. It's free and it's so, so valuable. I'm also subscribed to a few SEO podcasts, but I have to say I don't listen to them regularly. But if you like podcasts, you could check out Edge of the Web podcast and the Authority Hacker podcast. Those are both really good. And for evergreen tutorial type posts that are really in-depth on how to do SEO stuff on your website, um, Backlinko is a really good one, Kinsta, Moz, Deepcrawl, um, SEO blog by Ahrefs, SEMrush even has a blog. Um, so I would check out those websites as well. So those are my favorites and wow. That was the last question, so whew, I think I, I talked for like an hour, and hopefully um, this was valuable for you guys. I, I'll, maybe I'll make it a tradition to do an Ask Me Anything every year on my birthday, and it'll be fun to see whether my answers line up, like, what will I really be doing in 10 years? We'll see. Um, but yeah, thanks guys for hanging out with me today, um, and I hope you have a fabulous rest of your Monday. If you're not already in the Unconventional RD community on Facebook, definitely check it out or follow me on Instagram. I'm trying to hang out there more at the Unconventional RD on Instagram. Thanks, guys. Bye.